Bibles this morning to 2 Kings chapter 6. Second Kings chapter 6. And if you're relatively new to our church, I do want to encourage you to stay uh, this afternoon right, or right after service for our Meet the Staff lunch. It's very informal, uh, free meal, but we just, it's hard to connect sometimes over such a cavernous space and in our different areas. And we've designed this lunch just so not only you could know us a little better, but we could know you at a more personal level. So I personally want to invite you to stay with us today. 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, reading out of the New King James Version. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we all may dwell together. So he answered, Go. Then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And Elisha answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And so the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and this action made the iron float. And therefore he said to the man, pick it up, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. This passage was not only recorded for historical sake, but it was recorded with a very simple, pregnant, spiritual application for us today. It was a sign that God was with not only Elisha, but the sons of of the prophets, those that were in the school of the prophets. And God's presence and power was there. Elisha, if you remember, was the one that asked Elijah. Uh, when Elijah asked him, what could I do for you? He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. The same sense of God's presence that lives in your life, that's what I want. He could have asked for lands. He could have asked for possessions. He could have asked for status or notoriety. He could have asked for a word from Elijah in the court of the king, and he said, all I want is to have twice of the level of God that's operating in your life to be in mine. And this is the Elisha of this story. After Elisha received this double portion of God's spirit, we find the working of God. See, you can't have the spirit of God without the working of God. You can't have the spirit of God without the power of God. You can't have the spirit of God without the manifest actions of the God in that person's life. A widow's oil was multiplied and she poured into many vessels to meet her bill. Naaman's leprosy was removed. The Shunammite who could not have a son had a son. And when the boy died, he was resurrected again through the power of God in this one man's life. This passage also teaches us that as your ministry increases, places that used to fit you will grow increasingly small. Let me say that again. When God uses you and begins to use your life, not you using his grace, after that, when God's spirit inhabits you and you start to have your life used as a vessel, sanctified unto honor, fit for the master's use, when God's power starts operating in your life, in your home and in your workplace, and you become an influencer, you become a light in dark places. You become salt in decaying places. 
When ministry begins to happen in your life, you'll find that what used to fit you becomes increasingly small. The clothes don't fit anymore. You, you feel uncomfortable in carnal places and narrow places. You want the broad horizons of an eternal perspective. This passage teaches us that spiritual growth will relocate you. The prophets were ministering. God was with them and they said, we're going to have to move. We can't continue to be who God's calling us to be because the power produced growth and the growth produced change. And we, they, they, it couldn't house them where they were. And you'll, you'll learn that the longer you live with God and when growth takes place, it'll relocate you. You'll relocate from this set of friends to another set of friends. You'll relocate from carnally-minded groupings to spiritually-minded group, groupings. And in this passage, they said, we can't keep growing and stay where we are. Listen to this. You can't keep growing and stay where you are. Change is inevitable to the spirit-filled life. Something else stands out in this passage, and it's this. Big endeavors require the help and cooperation of others. It said, let every man take a beam. We're all going to get involved in this, and we'll cut down a tree together, and uh, all the trees per man, and we'll make these log cabins, and give us a habitation to dwell. And if you're going to live a spirit-filled life, and you're going to be a life be a life that ministers to other people, you'll find that you will lean upon other people and be used of other people so that we're a house fitted jointly together away with this narrow, shallow mentality that passes off as something deep in God that says, I only need God, live by myself. What if God took that approach? He only needed himself. The evidence of spiritual maturity is that you see what God sees, you feel what God feels, and then you do what God does. And when a man's heart is filled with God, there's a release unto God and an assignment unto people. And we need one another. We can do more collectively than we could ever do apart. The greatest things that you'll accomplish in your life, you'll find yourself linked with other people. A man and a woman linked together and raise a family. Two is better than one, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. These prophets in training didn't want to go anywhere or do anything without God's presence. In verse 3, one of the prophets said to the prophet, Elisha, please consent to go with us. And Elisha said, I will go. Now, this is not a cardinal parentheses rule that means in every situation it means just this. But it is a truth you'll find in a broad application in Old Testament Scripture. Wherever you saw the prophets, you can almost without fail substitute the voice and the presence of God. Because God didn't speak to every person like he did the prophets. He spoke to them face to face. He spoke to them from clouds. He spoke to them from burning bushes. He revealed himself to them. They were the mouthpiece and the carrier of God's glory. Not only did God's glory reside between the cherubim, the Ark of the Covenant, but the prophets had a measure of God's spirit that the natural Israelite did not have. They were equipped with power from on high. They took a part of God with them. So when this 
prophet in training told Elisha, he goes, please go with us. It was a type of a person that says, I don't want to do my life without you, Lord. I don't want to do my ministry without you. I don't want to do my home without you. Bring along, not bring along, let's do this together. I want to be able to open my door and see your presence. I want to open my door and hear your words. And Elisha said, I will go. God always comes to where he's invited. And your home today has as much of the presence of God as you desire. Your life today has as much the fragrance of God as you desire. Because he's never told a man that beseeched him to come with him. No. If you draw near to me, God said, I will draw near back to you. They didn't just dream, they labored. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. It's one thing to have God's presence, but he doesn't give us his presence so we can fall out. He gives us his presence so we can stand up and be laborers in the kingdom of God. That our life would have a return on investment. And that we're not too good to work. Greatness kneels. Greatness wears aprons. Greatness gets its hands dirty. And no sooner than Elisha went with them, the Bible said they worked together. And as they worked, something happened. And as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. And um, your pastor's heart is very heavy today for myself, you, and us. And see, if you're at a church a year, 18 months, they call it honeymoon period. You know, where everybody thinks the pastor can do no wrong and the pastor thinks they can do no wrong. And then after about the two-year mark, you know, but you know, uh, this isn't maybe as easy as we thought. Or you see the ebb and flow of the spiritual life in your church. And it doesn't hinge upon the pastor, but I have my individual walk with God. I have a walk with God as a pastor and you have your individual walk and when we come together corporately there's either an overflow from that fullness or there's a hollow ring because of the emptiness and this story is very simple I, I don't have a, a sermon for you I just really want to talk to you for a few moments from my heart about this lost axe head the cutting edge for the Christian the thing that makes us effective where our influence is so strong at work, it's unmistakable. Where the glory of the Lord is seen upon our face. Where everywhere we go, hard things are shattered. And there's strength and power available. This man is a type, shadow if you will, foreshadowing the believer that maybe even in ministry, that loses that which is necessary to be effective and faithful in his walk with God. It can be unintentional or intentional. It really doesn't matter. There was a controlled study done years ago. I forgot the source where I read or heard this from, but I remember it well. Where they brought in lumberjacks from... Uh, 
I want to say it was Alaska, but all they did day in and day out was chop trees. They used, of course, the chainsaws, but they also had the axes. And they brought them in and they put an ad in the paper, you know, uh, I think it was $30 an hour or something. That's what the average lumberjack made during the season. And they brought them in and they offered to pay them the $30 an hour controlled study for eight hours a day. And they didn't tell them, but they dulled the axes. At about the two-hour mark, they gave them a break, and this guy come in and said, you know, these axes ain't real good. I don't know where y'all got these, but they're not working real good. They weren't dull to where they wouldn't work, but they weren't sharp like they kept them. And they said, well, that's all we have. We'll pay you instead of $30 an hour, we'll pay you $40 an hour. And he said, no, ma'am, y'all just need, just go sharpen this for me, and I'm good. I don't need no no more money. I just want you to sharpen the axes for me. And he said, how about we pay you $50 an hour? He said, no, ma'am, that's, that's not the point. I'm not trying to get more money. If you'll just take these axes and sharpen them for us, we'll be good. And the person on QS scheduled said, okay, twice what you were making, $60 an hour. He said, lady, you're not listening to me. I'm a lumberjack, and we got to see the chips fly. We are Christians. We're supposed to see glory. We're supposed to see glory. We're supposed to see his face. We're supposed to see power. We're supposed to see fruit. We're supposed to be different. It's not a results mentality. It's an identity issue. And some people are content to just go and hit the tree. But I'm banking on The fact that in this house today, there's someone, your spirit's already leaping and something's been lost. Something's been dropped. Something's missing and we know it. If you'll give me the opportunity, I'll talk to you for just a few moments and I'm just going to give us a chance to talk to God about this missing axe head. When he lost this axe head, he lost the sharpness necessary to do the work he had already committed to do. He was sidelined from finishing the thing he had begun for God. He was no longer equipped to take earthly things and use them for heavenly good. He had lost the capacity to be industrious, effective, and faithful in the work of God. Because of what he'd lost, he could not do today what he was able to do yesterday. Without responding, is there anyone here that can't do something spiritually today that you could do yesterday? Is your life bringing forth a yield, a return for the Lord Jesus Christ? We're clear on what he did at the cross. My question is, what are we doing this side of the cross? Is the axe head dull or missing? Axe heads today would be this. Have you lost your purpose Paul said, I follow after him that I might apprehend that for which I've been apprehended of God in Christ Jesus. Till your that becomes a this. And you know why you were designed and you know why you were redeemed and you know why you were sent. And you don't have to have everything in neat categories, but you know you're clear on the notion that you were designed for the glory of God and to bring pleasure to him through your life and ministry. Purpose. 
Do you get up waiting to see what's going to happen to you? Or do you get up with intentional purpose so that your life would bring glory to God? Another act said is power. Oh, the Bible said righteous people are as bold as lions. They're not fearful of men. They're not fearful of the arrow that flieth by day, pestilence by night. They're not afraid of threats. There's power about them, a confidence that only God could give. The confidence that fills three little teenage boys in a 120-foot flame. And they said, if you don't bow down, you'll burn. And they said to the king, the king of the greatest nation on the face of the earth, they said, oh, king, small k, oh, king Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, mark it down in your little parchment that we're still not going to bow down and serve your God. A tenacity, a boldness, power, power. And I'm not talking about signs for signs sake, but where people are healed in your shadow. We do that today, we'd start an evangelistic ministry and put tents outside and say, shadow man, come see the shadow man. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in your home, Papa, where you walk in and your shadow heals your children, heals their perspective, heals their soul, where there's glory, power. And somehow in the daily operations of life, whoosh, gone. Gone is the purpose. Gone is the power. Have, have we deceived ourselves into thinking that our job is just to ride the inner tube down the river till we get home? There's supposed to be purpose for us and power and peace. That's an axe head. Peace. Peace does not mean absence of problems. It means that you are so settled on the inside that no matter what's hitting you, you can be crying and have peace. Did you know that? You can be sorrowful and have peace. You can have difficulty and have peace. But some of us have not had peace in quite a while. And the axe head flew off and we just go through the motions and hope it gets better. Purity and thought and speech and word and deed. Guarding what we see, guarding what we hear, guarding what we say. Not yoking ourselves together with unbelievers. Not touching someone in an, a sexual way that's not our spouse. Not living like we used to live before we got saved. Shoo, just gone. And so, what do you do when the axe head falls off? You just hang around other people with axe handles. And act like no one knows the difference. An axe head of prayerfulness, gone. Do you know you have to fight to stay prayerful? You have to fight to stay peaceful. You have to fight to stay powerful. You have to fight to stay pure. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent people take it by force. We are soldiers in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, don't, you won't find anyone that glories in the cross more than me. It is the, it's the gift of God, not of works. But what about this side of the cross? Is it enough just to be saved or should we step from, not from, but 
from the platform of salvation into effective, faithful service. And then there's the axe head of God's presence. If your presence don't go with me, Moses said, I don't even want to go. When the issue for us is not was it wrong or right, the issue was if we felt like we grieved him and his presence went away, we said, oh, you can have that. Just don't take your spirit from me, Lord. I want, to know, I want to know not just doctrinally, I want to know experientially that you are with me. Your rod and staff is close enough that it comforts me. That I can tell when you move just a little bit to the side, don't leave me. When you've lost your spiritual sharpness, when you've lost your edge, the first thing you must do is this. You must admit that it is gone. Like the prodigal in the hog pen, Jonah in the whale's belly, Samson in the prison house, Elijah in his cave, and Simon Peter who had went back to the boat to go fishing. Something had been lost. The prodigal had lost his relationship. Jonah had lost his calling. Samson had lost his power. Elijah had lost his boldness. And Simon Peter had lost God's direction for his life. You have to admit it. You, you have to look it in the face. And if everybody else comes around you and says, Oh, it's not that bad. They don't know how close you used to walk with God. They don't know the glories that you've shared with the Lord. They don't know how sweet worship once was. You know when something's lost, and the Bible says, remember from whence you've fallen and do over those first works again. Or I could come and take the lampstand out of your presence. You've got to admit it's gone. And if everyone else says it's not gone, you know, you, you're standing around with your axe handle and three other people come up with their axe handle and go, nothing's missing, nothing's missing. It's still missing. And here's the issue where personal accountability comes in. We didn't take our cues from them when we got saved. And we don't take our cues from them today. We know in our own heart if we are climbing towards God or descending away from God. We know. Those that live closest to you already know if the axe head's gone. It can't be hidden. Now, don't ask your wife or your husband beside you right now, but they know. Anybody that lives close to you. I heard a mom one time tell this story, and I love just the simple illustrations. She was very short with her children. And, you know, if, if you've raised kids more than two weeks, you understand the feeling. You know, you're like, Lord, were we really supposed to have these babies? I don't know if we missed it or not. And they was driving her crazy and two of them levitating, you know, and one of them pulling the hair of this one and this one's throwing up and she was just losing a grip. And she had been short most of the afternoon, rightfully so. You wonder if Jesus wouldn't have been short with them, you know, with the way they acted. But she said, come on in the kitchen. Come here, come here, sit at the table, sit at the table. And they thought they were all going to get in trouble. So they kind of sat there like statues. And she said, mama wants to apologize to you. And the little one said, well, well, why? Because if mama had spent time with the Lord, I wouldn't have been as short with you as I was today. Do you see the balance in that? She didn't say they weren't crazy. She didn't compensate for that. She said, the issue here is not about external forces. 
The issue is I don't have the capacity to effectively minister today because I lost his presence. Not that God abandoned her, but she was in habit of spending that time with her Lord. And that was her identity. And what she was saying was, I lost it. The children knew mama was different. Your husband knows, your wife knows, but sometimes we're the last one to know. And there are people here today that this has happened to, and they continue to swing an ax handle at their life as if nothing has happened and if no, as if nothing is missing. There are people here today. It's gone. We're still here. We're still coming. We're still singing. But the difference maker, the end of our faith, is gone. Once these people were powerful, now they're powerless. Once they were consecrated, now carnal. Once on fire, now lukewarm. Once people of the altar, now people of the foyer. Once they were going somewhere, now they're going nowhere. Once worshipers, now silent. Once grateful, now complaining. Once hungry, now full. Once full, now empty. Once they thought that giving God their best was their reasonable service. Now everything they do, they term it a sacrifice. At one time, they felt that they existed for God. If you asked them today, they'd tell you that God exists for them. In days past, they gave God first, and they gave him of their treasures. Now God gets leftovers, if anything at all. Once they saw through other people's excuses, now they are deceived by their own. In times past, they used to pray for people that were backslid. Now other people pray for them. When you've lost your cutting edge, you'll be tempted to sit back and excuse yourself from your vows, your responsibilities, and the cry of the unrealized potential within you. When you've lost your cutting edge, efforts at ministry, personal holiness, and passion for Jesus gives way to frustration, despondency, and eventually separation from God and his house. Your pastor is not exempt from this story in the Bible, and in fact, I'm all too familiar with it. My life since 1986 has been a constant pulling a tug of war between glory and the mundane, between power and powerlessness, between prayerful and prayerlessness, between spiritual and carnal. And I don't know how a Christian could get through this life without losing an ax head. I remember days in my Christian life that I, I kind of use as landmarks I remember praying all night long at a little house behind Northside Assembly of God in the winter that didn't even have heat. Just pray all night long. I remember walking, uh, I drove to Tattnall High School. It was near my mom's house and got there about midnight one night and just walked all over the campus. And I sat down in the middle of the parking lot and told the Lord, I said, I'm not leaving till I see you. Well, he'll outweigh you, you know. And I, but I was serious. I said, I just, I just want to see you. I, something, a glimpse, an angel, something. I just want to see you, Lord. I remember praying for a little girl in, uh, in Savannah, Georgia, who had been deaf from her birth. And I remember laying hands on her and watching her ears open for the first time when her mom would do the noises and she would tell her that she could hear. 
And I remember falling on my face. The moment I saw it, I was afraid to move for fear that I would touch his glory and God would smite me. I remember a little boy in a wheelchair, Rosa Taylor, uh, when I was playing basketball. And I just walked over to the mom and I said, I know you don't know me, but I pray for your boy. Could I put my hands on him and pray for him? And she said, sure. And I just prayed over him in front of everyone. It didn't matter. And sometimes I look at my life today. Maybe you can identify this. What happened to that guy? He's still there. What what happened to him? Maybe we've gotten used to polishing the handle. Or maybe we've got it in a trophy case somewhere. I don't want us individually to live in the rearview mirror. Hey, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to look back at where the Lord has brought us from and what we did for him and pioneering this church 18 years ago. Yeah, I I never want to forget. But there's a reason that the rearview mirror is that big and the windshield is this big. We're supposed to have eyes of where we're going and we should never be more romantic or sentimental about where we've been than where we're going. The only reason lumberjacks are more excited about yesteryear is when they no longer have an accent. Please notice that this young man stopped chopping wood the moment he lost his accent. Are you still chopping wood even with no chips flying? Number two, you must recognize that what you lost wasn't even yours. It was loaned to you. He said to Elisha, who was symbolic of the presence of God, he said, alas, master, it was borrowed. And that word master means sovereign controller. What I lost wasn't even mine. Your life, your abilities, your relationships, your opportunities, your todays, they're all borrowed. And you know, if you're aware of something being borrowed, you take care of it better because you know the day's coming when you have to return it to the owner. And I pray there's no part of today that you feel I'm preaching down or condemning. I'm trying to stir us, to provoke you to good works. We're going to answer to the Lord for the life we have, the opportunities we have, the potential that we have. God's not going to judge me solely on my works. He's going to judge me according to potential. The things that I could have done and could have been. This life that you call your own is not your own. You were bought with a price. And this borrowed life, you'll give an account for it. Number three, you must retrace your steps back to the last place you had this sharpness in your possession. So the man of God said, to the prophet, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. This man lost his axe head during the work of ministry, but there are many ways and places to lose it. Some lose their spiritual edge by using the axe in the wrong place, in the wrong way, for the wrong reasons. But most people don't plan on losing their spiritual edge. It's just little by little, stroke by stroke, The head is loosened from the handle until one day it just falls off. How is it with you today? Is your life sharp? Is it secure? 
Is it in use? Or have you lost the edge of your calling? Where did you lose it? Did you lose it when you began to go where you know you shouldn't go? Was it when you began to care more about your house than you did God's house? Did you lose it as you robbed God with your finances, being rich towards yourself and stingy towards Him? Or was it when you began keeping secrets from your spouse, your family, or your God? Did you lose your edge on the internet, at your job, or with an unsavory group of friends? Did you lose it when you replaced God with pleasures or choosing your natural life over your spiritual life? Maybe you lost it through apathy, excuses, rationalizations, or lukewarmness. Did you lose yours gradually or all at once? And there's some here today that do not have any idea where they lost it. Only they are sure that they have. And finally, God's power will meet your predicament if you take him back to the place. See, there's a confession part for the believer. And we can be nudged towards it, but it's really a personal thing. He went to the voice of God and he said, something's wrong. I've lost something. He said, where did you lose it? He had to tell him. It's not none of this general, oh Lord, do something for me. The voice of God said to him and it's saying to us, take me to the place. I don't want you to see the place. Take me to the place. If you will walk to the place and point to it, point to the person, point to the sin, point to the job, point to where it was, and say it was right there. With that confession, God's power will meet your predicament because he is for you and intentional. If our musician would come, please. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Deuteronomy 4 says, from this place, from thence, right here, from this place, if you will seek the Lord your God, you shall find him, regardless of whatever place. If from that spot you will turn, if from thence you'll turn and seek the Lord, you'll find him. See, God will raise that buried thing. So here's the Jordan River. It looks kind of like the Oak Mogie after a big rain, like Yoo-Hoo. It's real dark. You can't see it. And you're, it's, it's right over here. And God's prophet, his minister, raised it. But he didn't cause it to fly to him. He said, go get it. I picture this young guy. If he was like some of us that are so proud, we'd step in the water just a little bit. And Could you bring it over here just a little bit? I believe he pulled off that tunic and jumped in and grabbed it because you can't repent cute. He just jumped in and he brought it back. How did he float? Well, Elisha took a stick, a stick, and went over and just threw it in the area. And commentators have a field day on this. Some say that he could see the 
axe head at the bottom and he threw it or stuck in there and stuck it in the hole and brought it up. Well, the Bible don't say that, but the commentator said that. Another one said, well, he threw it and it stuck in the hole. I still got an issue. How did it float? Even if you rang the hole, how does it float? I'm just going to take it like he said it. He took a stick and in the vicinity of where he lost it, he threw it. It sounds to me, if you will take the cross, just a type of God's, the staff, a power, presence, God's working, and you'll apply God's power there. He raised it to the surface and he said, well, go get it. And he jumped in the water and got it. He still had to reattach it to the stick. He still had to make the iron secure. But only God. I'm so aware how responsible I am today to tell it like it is. You cannot heal yourself. You cannot decide to be restored. You cannot decide to get your edge back. You can only go to the voice of God and say, help me. And God will cause the thing that's buried to rise up again. He goes, now pick it up. And he put it on that handle and he secured it and he got back to work. Let me tell you about grace. When God forgives, he forgives. And when God restores, he restores. And there's no two-week trial period to see if God did it. If the power of God is there to raise it, then he's already given you permission to use it. And he got back to work. Almost every Saturday, that's the last thing I'll share with you. My wife will say, tell me about tomorrow. And uh, I'll share with her the sermon or read it to her or give her the notes. She's always supportive and prayerful over me. But she read my notes. Any men in here can give me a witness. Isn't it wonderful to have a spirit-filled wife? Isn't it wonderful? She said, will you pray over me and us? I thought she meant pray for her. But she meant pray with her. She followed me in the kitchen. She said, now. I said, oh, okay. So we took each other by the hand yesterday. And we covered all the areas of what fell off, what wasn't working, what, no excuses. And God, by your power, would you fix us? Because if you'll raise it, we'll jump in and get it. With no hype or fanfare, I just don't think we're the only ones. And if you've lost it, I want to invite you to an altar. No one will be praying with you today, just you and God. By the power of God's Spirit, I pray that that thing rise up in you and it come to the top of your life and you come and find it. You jump into this river of opportunity and grace and retrieve that which is gone. If that's you, I invite you just to come and kneel this morning and pray.
I just hear in my spirit that verse from the text that said, well, there it is. Reach out and grab it. Just reach out and grab it. It's yours. Reach out and grab it. While these are praying in the altar, those in the congregation, I want you just to stand and check yours. Check it and make sure it's secure. Tell the Lord, examine me. See if there's any wicked way in me, O Lord. Show me, Lord. Church family, would you look this way just a moment? Let me tell you what happened post-story. You know people were watching him when that iron floated and he put it back on. But that ain't going to stick. That's not going to last. And others are thinking, this is nothing but the hand of God. And once he swung it the first time or two, he realized that God wouldn't take the time to give it back to him if it wasn't going to work for him. When you pray for your family, you're going to see the chips fly, Papa. When you pray over your babies, when you pray about work, when you witness, you're going to see, you're going to almost, if you're like me, kick yourself. Say, why did I swing that handle so long? Because we got to see the chips fly. Amen? I love you today. And I want you to know I tremble at days like today because I don't consider myself anyone superior probably not even your equal and I trust that you know that I do this because I'm your shepherd and I'm I care for you and I want us to I want us to have that spiritual edge <laughs> not arrogance but confidence that God is with me and if we got a, a sling a piece of leather and a rag we can take giants out because God is with us and God is for us amen amen I'm going to ask my good friend and fellow minister, Terry Theus. Where are you, Terry? Will you come pray for us? Take your time. And if you're with spouse or children, I want you just to take their hand as Terry prays over us. Go find your spouse and your kids and be with them. Terry, if you just take your time and pray over us, 
Whatever the Lord puts in your heart. What an awesome message. Amen. We have to be, become and stay sharp for the Lord for Him to do the work He wants to do in our hearts and our life. The message really spoke to me. Thank you, Pastor John. I think one of the things that I love about Pastor John is that he believes in us. He believes in you. And he believes in what God's going to do in our hearts and our lives. And man, when somebody just believes in you, wow, the, the, the axe is going to be sharp now. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you, God, for the opportunity to be here and to hear this message, God, that I know, Lord, that you birthed this message inside of Pastor John for each and every one of us today, God. And I pray, God, that as we reach out and plunge in to regain that edge, God, that we need in our lives to live for you, to pray, to walk, to live, and to live in this world, God. I just pray, God, that you would just help us to keep that axe head sharp, Lord, to stay close to you and in your presence. I thank you for our pastor, God, and his wife, Lord, and I thank you, God, that he desires to have that first love in his heart, Lord, just doing radical things for you, God, standing in a schoolyard or just calling out to you wherever he's at, walking over and being sensitive to your spirit, Lord, just to walk over to a, to a boy in a wheelchair and praying over him, put his hands on ears that's never heard before and, and them being able to hear, seeing miracles and signs and wonders taking place in the hearts and lives of those that he comes and, and uh, encounters with. And let his people have that same passion. And we give you the praise and the glory for what's taking place here today. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Give the Lord a hand Amen. clap. Amen. Glory.